Think about your life. Every day you wake up and fight to live in freedom and against fear. But Christ has already won the battle for our freedom. We didn't earn it. The battle was won when Jesus died on the cross. We don't deserve it. He gives us grace because of his great love for us. And our freedom was secured when Christ rose from the dead. The grace of God gives us freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom to live the life he calls us to. We aren't saved by trying harder. We aren't saved by trying to be good. Only Jesus can save us and set us free. So enjoy God's gift of grace in your life. Be at peace and live in freedom. Well, I want to welcome you to the service today. We're so glad you're here. And those of you who are visiting with us, yay God that you are a part of this service. Thank you for being with us. Summer is over. It's over. Did I hear some people say hallelujah? Seriously? I mean, summer's a great thing, but it's September 1. It is. Summer is done. Yeah. Have you heard of this strange phenomena called flesh-eating bacteria? You heard of this? Is this not crazy or what? Where did this come from? It seems like there's always some new thing that pops out of nowhere, and now this is a very strange thing, flesh-eating bacteria. It's like a horror movie kind of thing, but it's real. I understand it, the best I understand it, there's three basic components. First of all, there is some cut or wound on your leg or your arm or something like that. There's a cut. Second of all, the ocean. Doesn't mean that there are bacteria, flesh-eating bacteria all over the ocean. It just, I don't know, I'm just imagining this. I don't know, maybe little groups floating around, and then maybe it shows up at your beach. I don't know. I don't know where these guys come from. But it's some bacteria in the water, not everywhere, but somewhere. And third of all, the person has to have some immune system breakdown like, a, like diabetes or, or a hepatitis C or something like that. And all three of these sort of come together. And now they're in the water. They got this cut. All of a sudden, this bacteria goes through the cut and begins to eat their flesh from the inside out. What happens over just a couple hours or so, all of a sudden, they're legs swell up or their arms swell up and they start turning colors and they need to get to the hospital as fast as they can get there because the clock is ticking. Flesh-eating bacteria. (laughs) Good grief. There is also a soul-eating bacteria. It is called man-made religion, and it will eat your soul. So let me explain. Man-made religion, all these religions, all these religions all over the world, they may have different like religious books, uh, holy books, and different tenets to their faith and all that sort of thing, but every last one of them 
have one thing in common. Every single one of them have one thing in common, and that is that you save yourself. They're all the same. Every last one of them have, when it all boils down to everything, you save yourself. How you live, what you do, the good things you do, the bad things you do, you end up saving yourself. They're all the same, except for Christianity, which I don't think is a religion. I think it's a relationship. The only one that differs from them is Christianity. Christianity says we cannot save ourselves. All the others, you save yourself. But Christianity says we cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior who saves us. All the other religions say that we work, 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 work. We climb our way to God. But Christianity says that God comes down to us. And he comes to rescue us because he already knows we cannot rescue ourselves. In fact, Christianity teaches that it is God who initiates peace with us, not the other way around. And Jesus said this, that salvation comes by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and not any other thing. And that is what I want to talk to you about today. We're beginning a new series, and this series is in the book of Galatians entitled, How to Live in Freedom. It helps us to start the freedom and live in this freedom. How do we live in freedom? We're going to be looking through the book of Galatians together. Did you know that I've never preached out of the book of Galatians my entire ministry? Do you realize that I have never I have never taught the book of Galatians ever or even part of the book of Galatians ever. And in fact, I've never even been in a Bible study that talked about the book of Galatians. I've never heard a sermon ever taught out of the book of Galatians. And here we are. We're going to go through the book of Galatians together. And it is going to be a great journey. I'm hard. I can hardly wait. I began to be to feel God leading me months ago. This is the direction that I needed to go. And it is going to be a great journey in how to live in freedom. The book of Galatians was either the first book or the second book written in the New Testament. The other book was the book of James. Either the book of Galatians or the book of James was the very first book, we're not quite sure, and the other one was the second. And so obviously the book of Galatians was the Apostle Paul's very first book to write. To understand this book, you got to get the context of what's going on. And how you get the context is to understand that a changed Paul does the unexpected. So let me explain. His name was not Paul. His name was Saul. S-A-U-L, not P-A-U-L. The name Saul is a Hebrew word, and that was Saul's name. He was a Hebrew Pharisee. The Hebrew word is Saul. The Greek word is Paul. 
His name was Saul, and he was a first-century Pharisee. And we know about first-century Pharisees because when you read the gospel, Gospels, you read about the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the ones who were always trying to trip Jesus up. They were always trying to mess things up. They were always trying to bring Jesus down. They worked so hard to try to destroy Jesus' message, but to no avail. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again three days later on Easter Sunday. And he appears to his disciples for 40 days. Not four minutes, not four hours, 40 days. 40 days. You see, this is why. This is no hallucination. 40 days. You don't have an hallucination for 40 days. He appears to his disciples and teaches them. Now, 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 let me explain my ministry now in the context of the crucifixion and resurrection, and that's why they were so ready and so prepared. They went to their death for only one reason. They would not deny the resurrection, but they said, how in the world could we deny the resurrection? We were with him for 40 days. At the end of the 40 days, he ascends to heaven. And for 10 days, they are in prayer until the day of Pentecost, which means 50 days. On the day of Pentecost, the bursting forth of the church of Jesus Christ takes place. And 3,000 Jews are saved on that day. And in the first few years, the only believers are Jewish. Of all of the Pharisees, that tried to destroy the church, there was only one Pharisee. There was only one Pharisee that went after the church with full vengeance. It was the Pharisee named Saul. And Saul came after the church with everything that he had. He was getting them arrested and beaten up and then thrown into prison and many of them killed. And he was doing all of this thinking that he was pleasing God by trying to destroy these Christians. He did all the havoc that he could wreak in Jerusalem, in Judea, and then he said, where are there more Christians? And then he hears, of all things, how in the world did they get there? There are more Christians in Damascus, Syria? And he got papers giving him permission to go to Damascus, Syria, and arrest them and bring them back in chains. And he had all these soldiers with him and on in, in the chariots, and off they went to Damascus. But on the road to Damascus, right before he got into Damascus, the resurrected Jesus intersects Saul's life. And a blinding light knocks him right out of a chariot, and there is Jesus, and Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's at that moment he came to understand that Jesus is for real, and Saul accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. The man who hated the church more than any other human being in the world now became a part of it. Now listen, have you ever encountered anybody? Have you ever encountered anybody that you thought was so bad, so evil, so no good, there is no way in thunder that guy would ever get saved. God would never save that man, that woman. That person is so evil, they'll never get saved. Saul is evidence that there is no one, there is no one so lost that it is impossible for God to save. There is no one.
Don't you give up on whoever it is that you are tempted to give up on. There is no one so bad, there is no one so lost that God cannot save that person. You keep praying for that person. That's true. In fact, Saul now changes his name to Paul. And Jesus calls Paul to become a missionary to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, that word, we don't use that word Gentile anymore, not in our culture. But in first century, the, the Jewish mind, you read it all through Scripture, Jew and Gentile, because in the Jewish mind, there's only two kinds of people in the world. There are Jews and then Gentiles. A Gentile is any person who is not Jewish. That made up 99% of the population of the world. Did you know that in our church, we have several people in our church that are of Jewish heritage who have come to know Jesus Christ as their Messiah, as their Lord and Savior, and they're Messianic Jews, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the most incredible church I have ever been a part of in my life. But most of the people in this church are Gentiles because anyone who's not Jewish is a Gentile. So here is the Jewish Paul and the Jewish Jesus commands him, calls him to become an apostle to the Gentiles. A Pharisee the apostle to the Gentiles. So it takes 14 years. Paul is growing, maturing in the faith. He's, he's learning, he's developing, and God is doing all this in Paul's life. And then the moment comes. And here is this Jewish Paul and Jewish Barnabas, both of them Messianic Jews, both of them receiving Christ as Savior, and they go on the first missions trip. How many of you ever been on a mission trip before in this room? Just raise your hand. There you go. And they go on the very first one of ever any mission trip, and off they go. And they leave Antioch, and here is a copy of the map. Here's a map that you can look at right there. And Antioch, you'll see Antioch right there. It is the lar- at the time, it is the largest Gentile church in the world. And they leave Antioch, they get on a ship, and they go to Cyprus, and they preach there, and several people come to know Christ as Savior. They get back in the ship, and they go up to this region. You see the region. It is modern-day Turkey, but in first century, it was called Galatia. All of that region there is called Galatia in first century. And so they go up, and they start going to one city after another, and they do street preaching like we do in India. And seen so many people coming to faith in Christ in India, they did that in Galatia, street preaching. And so many of these Gentiles came to know Jesus Christ as Savior by the hundreds that every city they went to, they ended up forming a new church. And all these Gentiles coming to this church, and, and they're beginning to grow and, and, and learn and develop. And then they went to the next town and the next town, all the way to Derby. And when they got to Derby, they backtracked, went back to all these cities to strengthen the Christians and strengthen those churches, help them better understand. And then they got into the ship and they went right back to Antioch. 
Paul had a very simple message. And the, me- the message was simply of salvation by grace, the grace of God through faith in Christ and nothing else. Salvation came by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. Paul gets back to Antioch, Paul and Barnabas, and they were so excited what's going on. They tell everybody about the trip, and it's a few weeks later that messengers come. And they say to Paul, you cannot believe it. When you left, you didn't know this was going to happen. When you left, Jewish teachers came in and started saying to everybody, you think that he told you the truth? He didn't tell you the truth. Paul's a nobody. Nobody even knows who this guy is. And they, he has not, no standing whatsoever with Peter and John and the other guys. They don't even care about him. And he is out there on his own. And I'm going to tell you this. He told you a lie. In order to be a Christian, you got to first become a Jewish convert of Judaism, and you've got to observe all the rules and regulations, all the laws, the Ten Commandments, all the Jewish feasts, all this kind of thing, because that is a Jewish Messiah he was talking about, and only then can you accept the Jewish Messiah. Well, when Paul hears this, he's furious. He is so angry. He is so brokenhearted. And he sets down And he writes this book called the book of Galatians to repair the damage. And there is the background to the book. So let's get started. The very first thing that he teaches in this book is that you can be freed by grace. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man but by Jesus Christ and, the, and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. What these Jewish teachers had said to them is this Paul is a nobody. Nobody even knows who he is. And so Paul begins the book of Galatians by saying, I want to reintroduce myself to you. My name is Paul and I am an apostle. And it wasn't some person that made me an apostle. It is Jesus Christ that made me an apostle. An apostle in the first century in the church was a person of great authority. And the only way that a person could be an apostle in the first century is that that person had to meet three criteria. The person, first of all, had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. And Paul was on the road to Damascus. There is Jesus. They have a conversation. He has been a witness of the resurrected Christ. Second of all, the person had to be able to perform actual miracles through the name and the power of Jesus. And when Paul was at these churches he actually, in Galatia, he was actually performing miracles of healing to many people. He performed those miracles before him, before them, demonstrating he truly was an apostle. Third, the person had to be hand-selected by Christ for the position of apostle, and God selected him in Christ as the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul is saying, I'm an apostle, and nobody made that happen but Jesus Christ himself. Now, what does this mean? It means that whatever Paul teaches, it is God speaking. 
Whatever Paul writes, it is the Word of God. So that when we open up the book of Galatians and begin to read this book today, it is God speaking to us, not just a man. It is the Word of God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. In other words, the Word of God cuts to the chase in our lives. The Bible cuts through our excuses. It cuts through our lies. It cuts through our false motives. And it gets to the heart of us. The Bible is such a powerful book. It has the ability to open up our heart and show who we really are. It is a powerful book. And Paul is saying... I'm an apostle. Galatians 1.3, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time you read a book that Paul wrote in, in the New Testament, there's many, they will all have these two words at the very beginning, grace and peace, and they're in this order, grace and and peace. Why? Because it is exactly what happens inside of us. God first gives us grace. The word grace is a word that simply means God giving to us something good that we don't deserve. The Buffalo Bills went to the Super Bowl four straight years. You go to the Super Bowl four straight years, you're a dynasty. The Buffalo Bills went to the Super Bowl four straight years, January 91, 92, 93, and 94. They were an amazing team, except they didn't win any of the four Super Bowls. The closest they got to winning a Super Bowl was the very first Super Bowl in January of, of 91, and um, they were down to the last eight seconds. They were behind by one point, but they were in field goal range. And all Scott Norwood had to do was hit a 47-yard field goal. Now, that's long, but it's done. He had to hit a 47-yard field goal, and the Buffalo Bills would be Super Bowl champions. He missed. They lost by one point. There was a reporter that went to Scott Norwood 20 years later and just asked him, tell me, tell me how you're doing now, 20 years later. I don't know, how do you phrase this uh, sensitively enough? I don't know how, do you, how you phrase this. But he, he asked the question, and here was the quote from Scott Norwood. He said, 20 years later, I still feel sorrow and disappointment in letting down my teammates. I still get choked up thinking about it 
putting myself back in that situation. I know these guys get paid a lot of money, but I'm going to tell you, they're just human beings, and they're in this key moment, and the whole world is sort of on their shoulders, and when they fail, they don't get over it. So they lost the Super Bowl, and the next day they're all on the, the uh, plane, and they land at the Buffalo Airport. And 30,000 fans show up to applaud them, to congratulate them. They got to the Super Bowl, and 30,000 fans showed up at the airport to, to give them a welcome. And when they got out of the plane, Scott Norwood made sure that he was behind every other ball player, that no one would be able to see him. No one would recognize him. He did his best to stay as far away as possible. And then, all of a sudden, the chants be began. We want Scott. We want Scott. We want Scott. Now, I would have been thinking, are they saying, we want to kill Scott. We want to kill Scott. But that was not what they were saying. They weren't chanting that. We want Scott. He was stunned. He said... I really wanted to remain behind the scenes, but there was a chant that intensified. I was not expecting to be called to the front like that. So the, his teammates had pushed him up on there, on the, there on the platform, and he got a mic, and here's what he said. Here is what he said with the mic. I know that I have never felt more loved than I do right now. It's called grace. And I want you to know that every good thing that has ever happened in your life has happened because of the grace of God in your life. Every single thing that has ever happened. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Are you ready? I'm really serious. I want you to do this. I won't know that you didn't, but I privately will know that you didn't if you don't do this. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to take a deep breath. Here we go. Hold it. Exhale. Let's do it one more time. The breaths that you just took were only because of the grace of God in your life. Every day that you wake up, every day you wake up is only by the grace of God in your life. Every ability that you have, every talent that you have, every opportunity that you have ever had has come by the grace of God in your life. Every penny that you own, every possession that you have, everything good that has ever happened in your life has only happened because of the grace of God. But listen to me. Every hurtful thing and difficult thing and tragic thing, even though God may not have been a part of it, your choices, wrong choices may have brought it about, God still uses those hurts, those struggles, those difficulties, and he can turn them around in your life, and it's called the grace of God. Every single thing in our life is the grace, is the grace of God.
Amen. I don't know if he said amen, but I'm thinking that he did. The greatest grace that God has ever shown you is when he sent his son to take your place, to die on the cross. He had never sinned. You had. You and I should have died on that cross, but we didn't. He did. He took our place on the cross, and he died to pay the penalty for our sins, and he rose again from the grave. And the, and the song is right. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin. Grace is God giving you something good that you do not deserve. And only when we come to understand His grace toward us can we ever come to peace with God. It is only through the grace of God that we can come to peace with God because God's grace brings peace. When you and I come to the place to know it is not my goodness that causes God to love me. Oh God, see how good I am? See how wonderful I am? It is not my goodness. It is not all the good things I do that causes God to love me. Because the truth is there are so many days in your and my life there ain't much goodness going on. It is not our goodness that caused God to love us. It is not our goodness that causes us to be saved we would never have enough to earn our salvation. But that is a great thing because the truth is God just loves us because of his grace. And God has saved us because of his grace. And in those days, we have no goodness to show for it. He does not stop loving us because why he saved us was not because of us. And he does not throw us away when we fail to live up. It is only when we come to understand this that it is not me that has caused him to love me. It is not me that has caused him to be willing to save me. Only then can I really understand peace, genuine peace in my life. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through. How do I get peace with God? Not through me, but through our Lord Jesus Christ. Understanding grace brings peace with God, and it brings peace inside. It brings peace inside, and it brings peace with others. My peace is accentuated with God, with others, even with me, when I understand grace. So how in the world do I get this grace? Well, look at what he says in Galatians 1, 3, and 4. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present age according to the will of our God and Father. The word gospel means good news. And the good news that Jesus taught us is that he came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He came to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. It's the words of Jesus himself. John 3.16 came out of Jesus' mouth when Jesus said, for God so loved the world. You could insert your name in the, word, in the place of world, for God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again from the grave, and he offers us the gift of eternal life. And all of this came according to the will of God our Father. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Would you say it with me? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Say it with me. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We can't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We need a Savior to save us. And this is what differentiates Christianity from every other religion. Galatians 1, 4, and 5, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Do I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. Now, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he also said, when the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. So that our freedom has nothing to do with our location. It has nothing to do with our circumstances. No matter what location, no matter what circumstances, we can either live in bondage or in freedom. No matter what our situation is, our true freedom or our bondage is a condition of our heart, not of our surroundings. And the source of our freedom is Jesus. And I'm going to tell you this. There are some men at Darrington Prison, maximum security prison, who've come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and their lives have been forever changed, who are more free than some in this room right now. Because it's not location. It's not condition. It's heart that determines whether you are bound or free. This is what Paul had taught in Galatia. And then these Jewish teachers come in and, no, you can't believe any of that. And now everybody's confused. And Paul is furious. And Paul then says to them, don't let anyone steal your freedom. Don't let anyone take your freedom away. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Whoa. As we have already said, and now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let him be eternally condemned. It is this passage. This is it. It is this passage. And this book that lit 
the fuse of the Protestant Reformation 502 years ago. 502 years ago, Martin Luther came to understand that the only thing that can save him is the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. Not the Catholic church, not any church. Not no matter what he does, not doing good deeds and good works. And he came to understand I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ alone and nothing else. And it liberated him. And it is what created what we call the Protestant Reformation. Now, aren't we supposed to do good deeds? Aren't we supposed to do good works? Yes, of course. But it's all about motive. And here's what I mean. If I'm doing good deeds to try to get God to like me and to allow me to come into heaven, the reason I'm doing all these good deeds is selfish for me. It's all about me, right? But if I'm saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and nothing that I do, and He saves me and begins to change me, and now I do good deeds and I do right things, not because I'm trying to get God to love me, but because He loves me. And because He loves me, I love Him. And now I want to do the things that I do to show you my love for you it changes the motive of why I do what I do. Does this make sense? And this is what it means to be saved. We are not working for our salvation. We're working from our salvation. It changes the motive of everything. So now my question to you is, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you accepted him in your heart? If you haven't, you can, and you can right now. 